Welcome to another Growth Masters Federal presentation on growing your business in the federal sector. Your host is Shirley Collier, president and founder of Scale to Market. Scale to Market helps businesses think, plan, collaborate, and build market value by developing and executing customized data-driven business development playbooks, building efficient information systems, and creating high-performing BD teams. Our recent series of interviews with commissioners from the Section 809 panel explored plans and recommendations for updates to the DOD acquisition process. Those recommendations, if adopted, will show up in future NDAA spending legislation. There are, however, options that exist today for innovative contracting officers to streamline the bidding and contracting award process, and that's the focus of Shirley's discussion today with Ryan Connell. Ryan, a recipient of the Defense Acquisition Workforce Individual Achievement and Development Award, has worked within DOD acquisition for over a decade to make the entire system more efficient, less complex, and less costly for contractors and the agency. If you are or hope to become a DOD contractor and want to get yourself above the quagmire that seems to define much of the DOD acquisition paradigm, this fast-paced and detail-rich discussion is a must. And now here's Shirley with her guest, Ryan Connell. Enjoy the presentation. Hello, Shirley here. Many of you may be aware that I conducted a series of podcasts with Section 809 panel commissioners earlier this year after their final report was published. Their recommendations ran the gamut, but I've been focusing on the so what. How can small businesses learn about and have meaningful conversations with contracting offices and program personnel about speeding up the acquisition cycle in order to get an infusion of new contractors and innovation into the government? That led me to Ryan Connell. Ryan has over 11 years of defense acquisition experience. He's worked with cost estimating, compliance, contract pricing, and most recently was an advocate for commercial acquisition within the department. He has a Master's of Business Administration, as well as several professional certifications in contracting and program management. Welcome, Ryan. Thank you, Shirley. Uh, pleasure to be here. I'm excited to discuss this important topic. I am, too. Before we get started, a qualifier on this discussion. Ryan joins us today as a contracting professional, and his statements today are his personal views and do not necessarily represent the views of the Department of Defense, the United States government, or its third-party service providers. Okay, with that out of the way, Ryan, I only briefly introduced you. Tell our audience a little more about what you do. Sure. So for the last three years, I've been part of a team that was requested by Congress in 2013 to help the department buyers better understand and be experts on commercial acquisition. Our core tasks involve helping buying activities decide if FAR 12 is the appropriate avenue for the acquisition. We have warranted contracting officers whose authority allows them to make an official commercial determination. Uh, and additionally, what I'm most proud of is our group's ability to do price analysis. And I know that sounds simple, but really what I'm talking about is evaluating some really complex military items where we can subjectively classify them as quote-unquote commercial, assuming they meet the definition. And if they do, what we don't get is cost data. And as a result, we have to decide what a fair price is based on other information. Uh, we do a lot of market research. Which I think the contractor community is generally unaware of. 
So you're fairly outspoken on LinkedIn about the speed of acquisition. To get our discussions going, what do you think is an underutilized existing authority the government can use to speed up acquisition cycles? All right, underutilized. So I'm going to say Tina Waver, and I'm going to say Tina Waver. Wait, what? Uh, I know that's what you're thinking. Uh, when I was working for the Air Force, I used to think that proposing to my boss that you know having a Tina Waver meant that I was giving up and I was unable to negotiate something, almost a sign of weakness for me personally or my career. So Ryan, explain the Tina Waver for our audience. Sure. So so Tina uh, stands for the Truth and Negotiation Act, which I know is is a legacy name, but it's catchy and many people still use the title. So I'm gonna I'm gonna keep calling it Tina. Uh, generally, when you're doing business with the department and you are buying military-specific items, the government requests cost data showing you know, labor hours, salaries, overhead rates, etc., in order to determine a fair and reasonable price. To cover liability, the government asks that companies certify to this information to show that everything is current, accurate, and complete. This is with TINA. There are exceptions as to when this isn't required, such as commercial items, such as prices dictated by law, or just if you get a waiver. Waivers make sense in so many areas, where I never used to see that perspective before. The DOD programs, which perform a lot of the same repetitive over and over buys again, all firm fixed price, and the government has access to the actual cost. For example, if we know the actual cost of 15 lots of the exact same purchase, we should be pretty good shape to estimate what the 16th lot's going to cost. It makes sense to consider a TINA waiver in that example to help speed up the acquisition. I would agree with that. Can you give us a specific example? Sure. So there are some success stories where they avoided at least a year in time. The government said something to the effect of, this is the 20th lot. I know how much this costs just as well as you do, and sent the price to the contractor, which was accepted. Right. So we're talking no RFP, no proposal, no proposal review. Think about that. And also think about how much sense it makes to do in that scenario. That does make a lot of sense, Ryan. What are some other areas of acquisition exploitation given current regulations? Uh, Well, I really love 212.102. So in January 2018, DFAR has updated the language to allow easier contract awards for non-traditional defense contractors. They've defined this term as any business entity without a fully covered cash contract in the last year. Effectively, this is all small business plus others. This allows for FAR 12 acquisition procedures, meaning no certified cost and pricing data, plus you know, no other inspection clauses, uh, government unique terms and conditions, et cetera, to be removed. Uh, and the concept is to reduce barriers to entry for our non-traditional contractors. I'll just say that this is a permissive authority, uh, meaning that they're empowering a contracting officer to use it, but nothing requires them to. This is significant because the requirement to certify cost and pricing data on the part of the contracting office would delay the procurement significantly and essentially scare off many contractors. They would just get tired of waiting. And other clauses that require inspections and audits are just too costly for many small, innovative companies that are moving at the rate of the commercial market. Okay, that was 212.102. What else, Ryan? What else? So some of the language that is in the NDAs, the newer NDAs, it's not in regulation yet, um, but there is NDA language requiring the reliance on a prior FART 12 rather than the reliance on a prior commercial determination. This is the case, depending on how the language is written, 
a non-traditional defense contractor might sort of become locked in using FAR 12 contracts. So to clarify, NDAA stands for the National Defense Authorization Act. Which NDAA are you referring to? Yes, and I believe it's 2018, but some of the more recent NDAs, 17, 18, and 19, uh, haven't yet made it into regulation. So uh, when Congress puts them into each annual NDAA, it takes time for these laws to go through the Defense Acquisition Regulation Council, DAR Council. Uh, It goes out to public comment and for the DFARS to ultimately change. So when that language is enacted, are you saying that FAR Part 12 will be the default procurement method for certain types of acquisitions? Sure. So today, the government either writes a new determination or uses an existing determination or awards a FAR 12 contract because of the non-traditional defense contractor authority that we talked about previously. Um, But in the future, some of this NDA language includes examples of relying on prior FAR 12 contracts. So instead of relying on a prior commercial determination, the contracting officer would be allowed to just rely on a prior FAR 12 award. So Ryan, your background is mostly in pricing. Given the push in the Department of Defense for speed, and assuming we don't want to sacrifice the quality of the products for the warfighter, how does the contracting office balance all of that and still have time to validate price reasonableness? This is a great question. Uh, Balance isn't easy. Acquisition professional, we constantly get pulled in different directions. You know, do it faster, do it cheaper, and oh, by the way, don't mess up. Uh, Unfortunately, in today's world, where do it faster is arguably the more important than do it cheaper, we have to ask ourselves some questions, things that we may not have thought about before. For example, think about the value of your time as a government employee, which is something that hasn't really previously been emphasized. For example, with all the data, we should have pretty reasonable knowledge that we usually recommend, I don't know, 10 or 5 or 20% for certain contractors or certain types of proposals or certain commodities. So if I'm sitting down reviewing a $200,000 contract, and I know that I've traditionally cut around 10%, I have to think about the time I'm spending on that review. If I could immediately guess that 180 k is a fair price, maybe I could spend another five days doing an analysis that might help find some data points that would hover around the $180,000 number, um, but might not be that high of fidelity. Maybe I should consider something like that. Or I could spend another 10 days which would get me more data and help me hone my recommendation. Continue that storyline. At some point, the cost of me sitting at my desk doing the review is going to be more than what I'm recommending cut in the proposal. I might spend an additional two weeks getting my 180K original guess to maybe 184K. It just doesn't make sense. (laughs) It certainly doesn't make sense. And it doesn't appear to be a good use of taxpayer dollars. We need to take a break. My guest is Ryan Connell. When we come back, we'll continue our discussion about pricing, shorter proposals, and other streamlined acquisition procedures. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Today's discussion is brought to you by Skill to Market, and your host is Shirley Collier. Utilizing the proprietary Davey Business Development Growth Framework, Skill to Market partners with business owners and executives to increase their company's value by achieving profitable and sustainable growth in the federal marketplace. Email Shirley at scollier at scaletomarket.com to obtain your copy of the Davy Growth Framework. Growthmasters Federal is a nationwide community of growth-oriented government contractors, their owners and executive teams, and the professionals who support them. 
The mission is to share experiences and discuss timely topics on managing and growing your GovCon business with an emphasis on implementing effective business development systems and practices in the complex, highly regulated, but opportunity-rich federal marketplace. And now back to Shirley's discussion with Ryan Connell, a contracting officer and pricing specialist on ways to streamline the proposal, pricing, and contract award process today, and what the future holds for defense acquisition strategy. Welcome back. Ryan, before the break, you were talking about the emphasis on doing procurement faster and cheaper. Let's elaborate about pricing as a part of the acquisition cycle. What role does market research play? So you're able to rely on price analysis over cost analysis. We want everyone to focus on market research. Finding the closest possible item that they can find and then comparing those two items technically and seeing if the price difference is explained by the technical difference. I like to call this the price walk. Going back to the idea of a TINA waiver, where we sped up the acquisition cycle simply by removing sections out of it, such as not creating a proposal, with pricing, we can sort of do the same thing. When we're focusing on market research of same or similar items, I don't need the proposal to do that. I should be able to be pretty dialed in on a price recommendation without even seeing a proposal. I should be able to review price history without seeing a proposal, right? So I start getting all of these data points together, maybe in that lull when you're waiting on the contractor to develop a proposal. When the proposal arrives, maybe you're, I don't know, 90 to 95% done, your fair and reasonable price determination, and you might just have a last few minute adjustments based on the proposal you have. But doing all that market research up front and at the same time that the proposal is being developed, you're pretty much good to go. So you asked me about doing pricing faster, and I answered by telling you I believe it can almost be completely removed or simultaneous to the other activities in the acquisition cycle and does not need to ever result in adding days to the process. So does that mean that the vendor proposals can be briefer also? Or are you saying that contracting offices can rely on something like quotes as recommended by the Section 809 panel? Sure, and and I'm all for streamlining. I I have seen a few examples of video proposals uh, opposed to written. The example that I was referring to was more talking about streamlining the government review opposed to streamlining of the contractor's proposal. But I think there are certainly areas to look at where we can find creative ways to get things done faster. One I see all the time is the government asking for full cost proposals for multiple quantities. For example, I need to know how much it's going to cost per unit if I buy one to 500. I need another proposal to show me how much it's going to cost if I buy 501 to 1,000. Another proposal, you know, 1,001 to 2,000, et cetera. I want the government to realize how much effort and how much it really costs to develop such a proposal and make sure they're only asking for things that they really need in their RFP. I would agree 100%. Now, the biggest complaint I get from my small clients especially is the huge investment in generating proposals. Sometimes the juice is not worth the squeeze, as they say. (laughs) Anything else? Uh, Any other trends, concepts, areas where we can find additional efficiencies, Ryan? Sure, and I'll add, I mean, I've seen the Section 809 panel post some things of of creative compliance, things we can do right now, and this is one of them. Uh, Since we talked about FAR 12 acquisition procedures, it seems to be less known that when purchasing commercial items under $7 million, uh, you can actually use the simplified acquisition procedures in FAR Part 13 to make it even easier. I'm a big fan of using FAR 13, especially for small businesses. Can you tell us a little bit more about the provisions of FAR 13? Sure. 
the simplified acquisition procedures reduces the overall administrative cost on both sides of the table. Uh, it allows for more opportunities for small, small disadvantaged, women-owned, vet-owned, hubs-owned, and service-disabled veteran-owned small businesses to obtain their fair share of government awards. Because simplified acquisition has less requirements to compete, there's a bigger base of possible applicants. So does that mean that for commercial items under $7 million, the contracting officer has an option of using the SAP and doing a direct award, meaning not competing the procurement? I believe it's possible to do, but like other acquisitions, the contracting officer would have to do a written sole source justification uh, and make that publicly available. While it does allow for sole source or even brand name acquisitions, the purpose of commercial acquisition with respect to 13.5 uh, isn't to or not to have competition. I believe that the purpose of these simplified procedures is to vest contracting officers with additional procedural discretion, uh, flexibility, so that the commercial acquisition in this dollar range may be solicited, offered, evaluated, and even awarded in a simplified manner to help maximize efficiencies and minimize burden, administrative costs for both sides, so government and industry. Yes, and I'm, I'm 100% behind that. Ryan, so what changes are you seeing in the SPIR program? So for some of the smaller companies with these cool new technology, make sure you're actively engaged with the Small Business Innovation Research Program. I was observing a pitch day that the United States Air Force put on with the Air Force Research Lab and AFWorks, and there were 450 contracts awarded in the course of a week. It's a Shark Tank style. It was really super cool to watch. Most of these, I believe all of them, were phase one SIBRs, so the values awarded were somewhere between 75 and 250K. Those were super cool. I'm very familiar with those. They are very exciting and, frankly, game-changing. And the Section 809 panel has recommended a number of changes to the SBIR program, including moving it away from the small business office organizationally and putting it under the research and engineering division so they are more aligned with the mission, and to increase the funding to 7% of the budget, which I think currently is 3%, and to increase Phase 1 awards to $500,000 and Phase 2 to $1.5 million, which should attract even more small companies and consequently more innovation. Are there other branches of the military doing innovative rapid procurements, Ryan? Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, you see pockets of this innovation fantasticness happening everywhere. I happen to sit in Boston, so I'm local to Hanscom Air Force Base, which is why a lot of my examples are Air Force-driven. Um, but great things are happening everywhere. Uh, it just happens to be in small doses. So they seem to be getting very positive press, which is required to help tip that scale so that eventually the pop-ups become regular practice. You see Dr. Roper with the Air Force getting super involved to promote these great ideas at the working level, but the same is happening with Jim Hondo Gertz in the Navy and his promotion of Naval X, which is a platform to help share best practices. And it's not always leaders. One of my friends, Ben McMartin, and his startup, Futures, with Army ground vehicles. He's leading the way with DOD OTAs. Those are very exciting. If our listening audience would like more information on these programs, please email me, and I'm glad to share the information we have. Ryan, in your opinion, what will it take for these innovative practices to be embraced throughout the Department of Defense? Sure. So I've seen a lot of LinkedIn posts where Mr. Gertz says, getting comfortable with the uncomfortable. I just love that. <laughs> these great practices have led to fantastic press. I continually hear these great stories, 
and I'd like to reshare them with my audiences as well. It takes a well-communicating team effort all the way through the leadership chain with a clear understanding of priorities. For example, if one manager's priority is 100% compliance and the other manager is focused on the fastest time to award, there's just going to be conflicts. You know, you can't move 100 miles per hour all the time without getting into the occasional accident. As I see it, the push currently is speed, and with that, there has to come calculated risks. And if speed is the priority, there needs to be an understanding that perfection and or the lowest price are not necessarily the priority. I love the Acquisition Enablers Group and their continual mission of constant reform and improvement. And I like how they're approaching change. They have a very clear priority list of what is the most important to the least important. Everyone in their entire leadership chain has an understanding of the various priorities. This is an example of how the top-to-bottom communication is fostering teamwork and allows all levels in the leadership chain to make informed decisions. Many iterations of quote-unquote reform have come and gone in many years, and maybe I'm young and naive, but I really truly believe we have it done this time. I hope so, Ryan. The whole purpose of the Section 809 panel was to recommend changes to increase the battle readiness of our troops, especially with quickly infusing innovation from businesses of all sizes, and Congress has noted the sense of urgency. Okay, so we've been talking about some innovative contracting practices. What advice do you have for small businesses on how to approach contracting offices with these new innovative practices without offending them? So, so given that I'm a government employee, I, I can't really act in a capacity where I would give advice. Um, but what I will say, you know, is, is I really think we live in a world now where if you spend time searching for these opportunities, the SIBRs, the small business programs, and even just the incentives that exist for tech startups, uh, the OTA consortiums, et cetera, there are so many opportunities to help get your feet in the door. Located here in Boston, we have tech accelerators like Mass Challenge and Techstars, and it's been really amazing to watch some of these young MIT graduates take their ideas through the programs and eventually end up with a SIBR Phase 1, 2 contract, et cetera. Part of what my team does is try to bring DOD acquisition into a more commercial-like business arrangement. Uh, We use a series of industry days, public accessibility information on our website, and even coordinate with DAU on creation of various tools. And DAU stands for Defense Acquisition University, right? Yes, correct. Ryan, I know you can't give advice, (laughs) but that's what I do for a living. My advice to small businesses is to educate themselves not only on the programs that are available for pitching new ideas and technologies to the Department of Defense, but on the procurement practices behind them so they can speak with confidence about how to quickly receive a contract and get the money flowing. Many tech firms are so focused on the technology, they sometimes misunderstand or are unaware of contracting nuances. You have been a wealth of knowledge today, Ryan. Thank you so much for sharing your expertise. It helps contractors help the Department of Defense to fulfill its mission. We are all in this together. Shirley, thank you so much. This was fun. And thank you to our listening audience for tuning in. If you would like additional information on anything you've heard today, please reach out to me via email at scollier at scale2market.com. This is Shirley Collier, president of Scale to Market and host of the Growth Masters Federal Podcast, signing off for now. Thank you for joining us today. For more information on how to increase shareholder value and instill enduring BD management principles into your GovCon business, give us a call 
Reach out on LinkedIn or visit our website at scaletomarket.com. That's scale2market.com. For those who prefer a visual experience, our webcasts are available on demand on the website. And for those who get their information on the go, as podcasts on the Growth Masters Federal Channel. We welcome your feedback and look forward to having you join us again soon for another informative Growth Masters Federal presentation.